Well, we've been in a series called Knowing God, where we are looking at some of the attributes of God revealed to us in the Word of God and in human history. And we've talked about some uh, incredible attributes. We started with holiness and the fact that God is holy, set apart from the world that he has made. He's infinitely righteous. He's, he's perfect in, in his being and in all of his ways. And, and then we talked about connected to God's holiness, the fact that he is wise. Because the fact that God is righteous means that he only does that which is right. And we talked about wisdom as an expression of God that which is knowing what's best, the best outcome in every situation, how to accomplish it. And so we, we started with kind of a foundational view of who God is and his holiness and his wisdom, how his righteousness and the fact that he always does then what is right, how those two things go together. And then last week we talked about God's love. We kind of shifted to how his attributes begin to intersect with our lives on a regular basis. We talked about God's love, the fact that his love is not an emotional feeling. It's an action-oriented disposition toward us. And this week, we're going to talk about an attribute connected to God's love that definitely impacts you and me. It's one of my favorite attributes of God to discuss. It's his jealousy. Something that you wouldn't necessarily think of if I were to ask you to list the attributes of God. <laughs> you might think, okay, I could, yeah, God is holy, God is love. Like you could probably roll through some of those things. But, but, but very few people give consideration to the fact that one of God's attributes is jealousy. Because we so often think of jealousy only in terms of that which is evil. A, a, a sinful jealousy, you know, the, the, the type of jealousy that we see displayed in the world around us. And we don't, we don't often give consideration to the fact that there actually is a positive love-oriented jealousy that is good. You know, we, we, we've seen throughout this series some different metaphors used of our relationship with God. We, 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 we see that metaphor of a king relating to his subjects. We saw a little bit of that with the holiness of God, right? Like God is enthroned in worship and praise. There are these created beings calling out holy, holy, holy all of the time, 24 seven, right? And we talked about the fact that these created beings who are perfectly holy themselves, right? Are still in awe of the holiness of God. And the fact that, that God's rule and reign over this world is established. And therefore there's like this dynamic, we relate to him as a, as a, as a subject relates to a king. And then we talked last week with the love of God as, as, uh, as relating to God in terms of a child relating to a parent and the fact that God's love is truly unconditional. Remember, we talked about the fact that God loves you because God loves you. His love is truly unconditional. There's that very precious metaphor in the scriptures between father and son or father and daughter. We cry out, Abba, Father. And, and then there's another metaphor and that, that, that kind of gets us to where we are this week. There's a metaphor in the scriptures of that of a husband and a wife, of two people in covenant together, right? And, and we have that metaphor of our relationship with God that we relate to him through 
the dynamic of covenant. All these metaphors matter and all these metaphors reveal something to us about the nature and character of God. And, and as we wrap up this series today, we're gonna, we're gonna lean into this metaphor of, of husband and wife, of two people in a covenantal relationship with each other. Because here's the thing, when two people come and get married, there are very few things that need to happen. Do you realize this? I've already told my daughters, that there's just a couple of things that need to happen. All the rest of it is just very expensive fluff. <laughs> Do you realize that for two people to get married, there are very few things that need to happen. They need to have a marriage license. They need to come with someone who's registered with the state to perform a legal wedding. They need to have one person each with them and then they just need to recite vows. That's it. We could do this puppy in about 45 seconds. You don't have to have a processional. You don't have to have fancy dresses or tuxedos. You don't have to have a reception. You don't have to have a harpist or a violinist. You don't have to have any of that. Listen, we could knock this thing out at Chick-fil-A tomorrow morning if you want to. I mean, after all, it is peach milkshake season. Am I right? That could be the reception. There are very few things that legally need to happen for two people to enter a covenant. But isn't it interesting that even in our secular society, one of the things that has to happen is that two people have to come together and they have to commit their lives to each other in the form of a covenant. Now, I find that fascinating. Not a lot has to happen. You get registered, get your license, come, stand in front of somebody who's registered with the state, legally authorized to perform a wedding, to, to unite two people, each of them have to have a witness. And then you come and what do you do? You commit to love each other in some form or fashion till death do us part, right? Do you know why that happens? Because marriage is something that is given to us ultimately by our creator. God is the one who performed the first wedding. And ultimately marriage then points us to the type of love that God has for us. And we've talked about this love that he has for us in terms of a parent-child relationship, but today we need to lean into this metaphor of, of, of a spousal relationship of two people in covenant together because because that covenant is significant. And what that covenant represents ultimately is the covenant into which God has entered into with us. And you know what the cool thing is about your salvation and you entering into this covenant relationship with God? He's never gonna break his end of the deal. He's never gonna be unfaithful to you. He's never gonna cease to love you fully. And here's what that means. When you and I are unfaithful, when you and I pursue desires for other things in his place, it provokes in him a type of loving, righteous jealousy that you would have in your marriage. Now I love my precious wife and if there were another person coming after her love and affection, that would provoke in me a certain type of jealousy, probably a certain type of anger too. I mean, I wouldn't go too far with it. Would I put a horse head in that person's bed? Sure I would, but that's just, that's just a little warning, right? 
I mean, you think about your relationship with your spouse, someone that you love in that way, right? It's very intimate love, right? It's unique, okay? It's not a, it's not a parental love. We talked about that aspect of a parental love in terms of an unconditional kind of love. You love your children because you love your children. Okay, yeah, the love of God. Okay, now we're thinking about jealousy and we have this metaphor of, of covenant, of relation. And what happens when someone comes after that person that you love that intimately? There's only one of them in all of the world, right? And, and when someone comes after, it provokes in you a righteous, loving jealousy. That's okay. That's the kind of jealousy that's featured in the scriptures about God. And we have to remember that the Bible uses what we call anthropomorphisms of God. In other words, it's, it's, just, it's just describing God in human terms that so we can better understand his glory. Jealousy is one of those anthropomorphisms. It describes the character of God in a way that we can understand. And, it, and this issue of jealousy is a jealousy that's ultimately rooted in love. That's what makes God's jealousy unlike most of ours. Let me tell you the difference, okay? If you take a note, just jot this down. This is huge, okay? Here's the thing. Human sinful jealousy is rooted in a selfishness that gets angry and stays angry. Human sinful jealousy, okay? The the type of jealousy that we most often associate with jealousy, right? That's why some of us, when we hear that God is jealous, we, we, kind, of, we kind of recoil at that. But, 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 but jealousy, as we often encounter it, is a type of jealousy where someone has something that we don't and so we want it. It's rooted in a selfishness that promotes anger and that anger stays angry. Here, here's God's jealousy. God's jealousy is not sinful, it's righteous in this way. It's, it's rooted in love, a love that may be angry, but that stays loving. What is human jealousy? Human jealousy is a jealousy that gets angry and stays angry and acts out in anger and selfishness and harm. That's why James says, what, what's the cause of fighting among you? Is it not, in essence, like someone has what you want? <laughs> Human jealousy is a jealousy that selfishly promotes anger and stays angry. Here's God's jealousy. It's a righteous jealousy rooted in unconditional love that may be provoked to a righteous anger, but here's the thing, stays loving toward us. In other words, God as a jealous God, even when we are unfaithful, even when our desires at a human level about other human beings or other human passions or pursuits supersede our desire for God, listen to me, there is provoked in our God, a jealousy that is a righteous jealousy that, that, that manifests itself in this, that even though the jealousy of God may provoke some type of action, here's the thing, that action is still rooted in love, never in anger. That's what makes it different from human jealousy. Our jealousy provokes anger that stays angry. God's jealousy may provoke some type of appropriate reaction, but that stays loving toward us. And this is why God, going all the way back to the children of Israel, communicates to them the fact that he is a jealous God. 
Because let me show you this, God's jealousy is rooted in a relationship of covenantal love and faithfulness. This is the heart of our God. This is how much he loves you, right? Unconditionally, he loves you because he loves you. And he loves you in a way he's protective of your relationship with him. He's provoked to a righteous jealousy that, that stays loving towards you, even as you at times pursue other passions and desires that supersede your relationship with him. And this is why God said to Israel back in Exodus 20, check this out. Here's what he says. He says, I am the Lord, your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have, first command, right? Don't have any other gods besides me. In other words, I am your spouse. Okay, think covenantal relationship, right? You are in a unique relationship with me. Don't have any other gods besides me. Okay, that's like, that's like, that's like my wife saying, you are my husband. You will not have any other wives besides me. That seems reasonable, does it not? He said, you don't have any other gods besides me. And he says, do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or the waters underneath the earth. Do not worship them. They're not real gods, right? And do not serve them. Watch this, for I, because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. <gasps> no, 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 no. It's a jealousy that even when provoked, stays loving. but it's a jealousy that's protective of the covenantal relationship. You understand like this, this jealousy is indicative of the overwhelming love that God has for you. And it's a, it's a love and a jealousy that's been on display now for thousands of years because you know what? The people to whom God gave this original statement do not have any other gods before me, for I'm a jealous God. You, you, you remember, don't you, that it didn't take very long for them to like completely disobey this. In fact, you know the irony of this? While God was meeting with Moses, right? To put these actual words on tablets, the children of Israel were worshiping other gods. <laughs> That's how messed up they were. That's how messed up we are. That's messed up. And do you remember what Israel worshiped? Do you remember what they fashioned when they were waiting for Moses and they were concerned that he wasn't going to return? Do you remember they put together a calf? What's wrong with these people? Who's your God? Oh, you don't want to mess with our God. Why not? Our God is a calf. <laughs> like, you know what? I, like, I would have loved to have been in that meeting. Okay, boys, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we ought to do. We ought to fashion a lion. That would put the fear of the gods in our, a lion. Oh, no, we can't do a lion. No, no, no. What about a bear? What about a tiger? Let's just go through all the Wizard of Oz animals. Okay, Wizard of Oz, right? Lion, tigers, and bear, right? Let's just go through them all. And then somebody said, you know what, guys? Stop all your, I think we should just roll with a calf. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, a calf, really, a calf? You've got a God who just delivered you out of the most powerful nation on earth and you're going with a calf? They went with a calf. Moses comes down off the mountain, right? He smashes the tablets like, oh shoot, gotta go back and get some other ones. 
God gives them the covenant, all right? <laughs> that wasn't even my best material yet. Let me get there. I gotta, I mean, that's not even, buckle up, all right? <laughs> all right, these were messed up people. I mean, literally God's communicating. Here's the thing. You're not gonna have any other gods for me. I'm a jealous God. I love you that much. They're, for, they're fashioning a calf, a calf. And so, of course, Moses has to communicate to the nation, man, this is serious, right? This is serious. And at the end of his life, okay, he, he kind of writes out just a, a word for the people of Israel. We know it as Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy literally means second law. Okay, this is the end of Moses' life. And he's like, okay, man, these people aren't getting it. Let me, let me put it out for him a second time. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy 4. I love this. He says, be careful, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord. Go to Deuteronomy 4. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of anything he has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 6, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. You're gonna be tempted to do that. Don't do it. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Let me fast forward quickly, all right? First Kings 14, look at this description of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight. What did they do? They provoked the Lord to jealous anger more than all that their ancestors had done with the sins that they had committed. I, I just want you to know today, your God loves you in the context of covenant to this end. He is jealous for you. Your affection, your devotion, so that when you and I desire other things more than we desire him, it provokes a jealousy with our God. Not a sinful jealousy, not an anger that stays angry. No, it's a righteous anger that stays loving, but is compelled to act out of love for the covenantal relationship into which God has entered. And so here's two things that God wants of you, all right? Just quickly, two things. First of all, a jealous God wants priority. A jealous God wants priority. I say, okay, how do I avoid provoking my God, right? My, my God to jealousy. Well, you put him first. You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, you will love the Lord your God. You will love him more than anyone or anything. You will pursue him more than anyone or anything. Listen, this is what God desires for us. It works the same in a marital relationship, right? God is only asking for what a spouse would ask for in the context of marriage, not doing things for him, but being with him, loving him, cherishing him, appreciating him, right? growing in your knowledge of him, right? And, and, and that's where, again, I know last week we talked about the dynamic of parent and child and that unconditional love, but this week I just want you to lean in this metaphor again of, of covenantal relationship because there is a unique type of love of 
husband and wife. There's a unique love to children. I told you probably the closest thing we can experience this side of heaven of truly unconditional love is that between a parent and a child. But there's also an aspect of covenantal marital love that's unique in this respect. Like, like I love my kids. I love them unconditionally. I love them because I love them. But make no mistake about it. At some point, soon and very soon, they better get on up out my house and off my payroll. <clears throat> right? I love them unconditionally. I will always love them unconditionally. There are four people on this earth that I will love uniquely in that way, truly unconditionally. I love them because I love them. I love them before they were born. But that doesn't mean they're gonna be on my payroll forever. There is coming a day of windfall when my wife and I can do what we wanna do and buy what we wanna buy and go where we wanna go, amen? Okay, yes. And there is a day coming when I expect to return on my investment in ROI on these four people called grandchildren, okay? Come on. I love them because I love them. But I'm not jealous over them in the same way I'm jealous over my wife. You know why? Because I don't ever expect there to be today I say, get on up out of my house to her. I know what you're thinking. There's some days you're like, well, I feel that way. There's some days I feel that way. I know, I know what you're thinking. Okay. But, but right on a human level, that covenant into which you've entered, that's why, you, that's why you have to even today come and stand and recite some vows saying, till death do us part. It's not till death do us part with your children. No, there's a leave and a cleave. And that's where God is leaning into this attribute saying to you, I want the same type of priority that you would give your spouse because I've entered into this covenant with you. I love you unconditionally. That's what's so unique about God. I love you unconditionally as you would love your children. But I'm in a covenant with you to the extent that we are we are one and, and therefore that priority is huge. And so, and so if you're wondering today, how do I avoid provoking my great God to jealousy? You need to put him first. And then secondly, here's the thing. A jealous God doesn't just want priority. He wants intimacy. It means that you're gonna grow in grace. It means, this is overwhelming, that God, he, he wants a personal relationship with you. Listen, this is not about what you do. It's, it's about being in relationship with a God who's already done for you what you cannot do for yourself. Here's how Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. I love this. He says, for I am, right, jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Okay, this is Paul talking about these believers, right? I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, reflecting the jealousy of God, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. This is the type of intimacy that we see between Christ and the church. And it's reflected in the first and the greatest commandment, Love. Listen to me very, very carefully. The first commandment is not do. God has not said to you as a holy, wise, loving, jealous God, go to church three out of the four times a month and I will love you. God has not said to you, do X, Y, Z and I will love you. You know what God has done? God, is, God has initiated the love initiated the relationship, made a way for that to happen. 
And, and because of his sacrifice in Christ to bring us into a right relationship with himself, here's the analogy, right? It's, it's like a wedding, it's a marriage, it's a covenant. We enter into this and now God says, the greatest thing in all the world for you to do is to love me. Not serve, not do. That follows the love. Do you know why I serve my wife? Because I love her. And it's no different for your relationship with God. So I, I just wanna end kind of the series and in this day, just a very important day in our, in our nation's history, really. And just with the word that God is a God who loves us, entered into a covenant with us, always faithful to us. And therefore, I just wanna encourage you today as we prepare to go here, just to evaluate your life. Is there any desire, any passion, any pursuit from which you are drawing identity and fulfillment that supersedes your desire, passion, fervor for God. Is there any? Because if there is, I'm just telling you right now, your God is gonna be provoked to a righteous jealousy that's gonna stay loving towards you, but it will be a jealousy. And he's coming after you. He's not gonna put a horse head in your bed. But he's gonna work in your life through circumstances to draw your affections back to him. I can guarantee you that. Your God loves you so much. He's not gonna let you go and run off to another lover. He's coming for you. And so I, I wanna invite you back to this great God who's holy and wise and loving and jealous because he desires that intimacy that is so incredibly unique and amazing.